1: Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence, awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity And there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly in today's chaotic world, mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. Humble the Poet is a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, best-selling author and former elementary school teacher. What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years crossing genres, mediums, and oceans. His first two books, Things Nobody Can Teach Us and Unlearn, have become international bestsellers. Today, we'll talk about his new book, How to Be Loved, Simple Truths for Going Easier on Yourself, embracing imperfection and loving your way to a better life. Welcome, Humble.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm really looking forward to this. Um let's start with what led you to writing and why now a book about love.
0: Um in general, I think I've always been writing. I think with most artists it's less about pursuing a passion and more about honoring an obsession. And i think throughout my journey there's this love of kind of having my mind blown learning something having my biases challenged um you know being able to say i was today years old when i learned that dot 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 and i think that's always been an exciting idea for me and i think the writing came from the joy of sharing that and sharing it in the way that i process it and um i've been writing short stories since i was a kid and then when I became an elementary school teacher, I think I honed in a lot of those um, skills in terms of how to package information uh, in a simple, digestible manner, um, as I worked with uh, eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. And um, from there, I think just taking topics that I found interesting and trying to find ways to package them for other people and realizing that that really allowed me to connect with an audience on a much larger level. I was making music at the same time, and then I realized putting things in black and white text um, was much more impactful. And um, throughout my journey, I was kind of, you know, everything I write, I write to myself. And and even this new book about love uh, is really a response to recognizing that in my own life, I'm aware that there is a lot of love in and around me, but sometimes I just can't feel it. And um, through the process of this journey, I realized that a lot of the walls I had put up to protect myself from getting harmed and hurt were really serving as prisons to keep everybody else out. And if I wanted to feel and experience and realize any love, um, I would have to tear those walls down.
1: I don't think you're alone there. And so I think that's why this book is so needed right now. What's your definition of real love or big L love?
0: Um, Peace. Love is, uh, you know, where you, it's not getting everything you want. It's not wanting anything. And, uh, you know, peace, contentment, being completely okay with where you are. And, um, you know, no spikes in the highs, no spikes in the lows. You know, it's uh, really being present and um, kind of having what you actually require met. And I think um, that's when we allow love into our lives. That's the feeling that we get.
1: Well, you don't actually use the word mindful, even in what you just said anywhere in the book, but all of the main components of mindfulness are there.
0: Oh, completely. Yes.
1: So one area we focus on quite a bit is self-compassion and self-care because we can't really be of service to others if we're not well. Right. Yeah. How do you think we can put ourselves first without being selfish? And what's the difference between self-care and self-love?
0: So I think the, the great analogy of the airplane, you know, when they save the oxygen mask drops, make sure you put yours on first before you help anybody else. I think that's because if you pass out, you won't be of any value to anybody else on the plane. So you got to put on your oxygen mask. And I think that's a really important way to take a look at this is, you know, so often we may be people pleasers or martyrs, and we put everybody else's needs ahead of ours, uh, and then we're left depleted, and we're of no value to ourselves or to anybody else. And so love's to serve, but you have to make sure you are in a capacity to serve. So putting yourself first isn't selfish, it's necessary. Expecting other people to put you first is selfish. Being around people who expect to, for you to put them first is selfish. So it's it's really important to establish boundaries, communicate them clearly, um, stand up for yourself, and and do all the important things. Um, in the world of self care versus self love, you know, all of self love will involve self care. Not all self care may be self love. You know, self you know self love is accepting yourself as you are, and you know definitely the daily maintenance and and care that's required. For you to feel good is important but you know there's a lot of cosmetic elements to self-care and getting facials and doing all of this stuff and and oftentimes that's not just simply done to feel good that's done to make yourself look good um you know and 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 that capacity is not always taking care of yourself i think you know self-love also involves some of the not so romantic elements of taking care of yourself um most of the most important parts of regular maintenance whether it's with a car or whether it's with a relationship or with yourself you know they can't be romanticized they can't be a bubble bath with uh, candles lit around sometimes it's the it's the ugly cry sometimes it's the you know facing facing the demons sometimes it's uh having the difficult conversation and those all qualify as self care and i think that's really important where simply a day at the spa doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're you're strengthening Your relationship with yourself.
1: Oh, I totally agree. Speaking of looking at your darker side or demons, you say that we need to sit with our pain to experience love. So I know many people believe that avoiding difficult emotions is the best way to avoid feeling pain. So can you explain why the pathway to love is sometimes paved with pain, but is necessary?
0: Yeah. So I think we live in a society that really sells us this idea that convenience and easy, easy is is good um even though all our personal growth and evolution came from challenges and pain and um you know, if you go to the gym and you and you have a workout, if it was an easy workout, it probably really wasn't a good workout. you know you got to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable. and I think the same applies to life um I think a lot of our mental health challenges actually. Uh, They don't come from the unpleasant feelings and thoughts. They come from trying to suppress them, you know, trying to suppress the anxiety, trying to suppress the darkness, uh, trying to suppress the unpleasant feelings, when really we should feel them. You know, a a beautiful analogy I heard is uh, your emotions are all guests in your hotel room, you know, welcome them all in. Um, Some of them are going to trash the room. Some of them are going to leave the room better off than when they came in, you know, but they're all your guests nonetheless. And you have to welcome them all in and and clean up after them. And I think it's the same thing with our emotions. Um, They're all important. The species that we are humans, the vast majority of our emotions, probably 70% of them, would lean towards the negative side because those are the type of emotions that would keep us alive. You know, we don't learn when we're happy. And uh, so it's important to embrace these sides because we have to realize that we, we are a surviving species. And a lot of this is in our software for us to survive. And trying to suppress this now is is kind of denying who we are, but also it's adding up. You know, you can't avoid a negative feeling. You can't avoid uh, an uncomfortable situation. They are going to find you, um, especially in the world of trauma, because we're all dealing with trauma we're not even aware of. So the last thing we should be doing is avoiding the trauma that we are aware of and processing that as the first step to to seeing what else is there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing is that there's a, I don't know, misunderstanding that somehow if you don't deal with it, it'll go away and they don't go away on their own, right? They're going to somehow either in some way that's inappropriate or that you can't control or in your health, but they don't go away on their own. So in the chapter in the book called Perfect is the Enemy of Love. You talk about how hard we are on ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How does that trip us up with love?
0: Love is going easy on yourself. Love is embracing imperfection. You know, love is accepting what's in front of you. And when we think about anybody we genuinely love, um, most often outside the romantic realm, you know, think about a sibling, think about a friend. um, They don't have to do or be anything to qualify for our love. You know, love isn't something you have to qualify for. It's not something you have to be worthy of. It's not something you have to be enough of. Uh, I think a lot of this messaging has come through marketing, you know, and selling us products. And the only way to sell somebody a product is to let them know that they're not enough without it. You know, if you don't have this product, you know, what are you doing? So, you know, we are constantly chasing this idea of perfection when perfection doesn't exist. And the most important recipe in connecting with others is vulnerability. If someone was perfect, they wouldn't have any vulnerability and you wouldn't be able to connect with them. So I think embracing what makes us imperfect um, is really important and recognizing that we're never going to feel like we're enough because these are signals that are sent to us every single day, you know, through social media, through the commercials we watch, through the movies we watch. And all of these are, you know, definitely socializing us to believe a certain thing, And again, that's done, not just to make us feel like we're inadequate, but to sell us stuff. You know, there's an engine in this society, which is economic. They need us to buy more than we need uh, to kind of keep this whole thing afloat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's amazing how manipulative it is
0: Mm -hmm.
1: on the conscious level, right? Which is so many young people right now through social media with the increase in depression and all of that. So definitely. Great point. You described learning about ego at a young age, even if you didn't maybe quite understand it at the time. but I really believe most adults today don't really get how our egos are the source of so much of our suffering. So I'm wondering if you can tell us you know your opinion about how ego can affect us related to love.
0: Yeah, so the analogy I like to use is uh, you know, we're all part of the ocean, but you know our egos make us feel like we're individual raindrops. our egos are that membrane you know that surrounds the raindrop so the most beautiful feelings we've ever had in life are moments when that membrane melts away it pops away you know you fall in love with someone you don't know where they end and you begin you know you know there's a beauty to that you know certain psychedelic drugs create that impression and and you know it's just this beautifulness of like I am part of something greater than myself. You're at a sporting event and you're part of the crowd, and you're all chanting together. It's just these moments of feeling much feeling like everything and nothing at the same time. And I think that's it's a really important idea. And our egos really, and you know it's 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 in different spiritual philosophies, but you know your our egos are kind of the biggest roadblock to any type of liberation and love um, because that creates this level of separateness from everyone else. And that creates this level of identity. I see, you know, I was thinking, especially with my time here in Los Angeles, you know, versus my time in other cities, you know, there's a lot of people here, especially in entertainment who are in survival mode, but it's not a survival mode of like, I need to put food on the table. It's more of a survival of identity, a survival of relevance. And, you know, it it feels just as urgent to them, you know, as if, you know, they're, they're trying to get their next meal, they're trying to get their next fix of, I need to be seen, I need to be relevant, I need to matter. And um, I think a lot of that was developed, um, you know, during our early early days as humans and when we were operating in small tribes and recognizing ourselves in relations to other people taught us the hierarchy, it taught us who to look up to, to learn how to hunt, Um, you know, it taught us, to to work as a community because if we didn't we would get ostracized and i think a lot of that software now doesn't hold as much relevance to the modern world that we live in but i mean human evolution biological evolution in general is very slow so even though you know a lot of the modern conveniences that we have are no more than 100 200 years old you know it's going to take us hundreds of thousands of years to adjust to this stuff and it's going to keep getting faster so i think our egos are one of the the culprits in this in this game because we continually isolate ourselves and start to believe that we're existing in this universe of one you know and, and not in the best way where we all are one but instead of where like everything is about me how does the news impact me i'm not even worried about anybody else around me and i think that's very isolating and it's you know it's counter it's counterproductive to building pathways to love So I think, you know, what we realize is you got to leave your ego at the door in so many, so many situations and and you're so much better off for that. That doesn't mean not having boundaries and standing up for yourself, but it does make you realize, you know, understanding the differences between being confident in yourself or being cocky. It's really understanding, focusing on service, helping others before, you know, always worrying about yourself. Um, I think it's a really important idea, and I was learning about ego when I was really young, and I was learning about it through Sikh philosophy, which, you know, the, the word they use is home, you know, and because ego was coined by Freud, you know, hundreds of years later. So, you know, really just trying to describe somebody's self-identity, and that is what pulls them away from their kind of divine presence as well as there being a part of this larger community of everything else.
1: It trips us up on every front, but I was particularly interested in sort of the, as a barrier, like you said, because if you're really ego based and you're not aware, not self-aware to realize what's happening, then it just sends you down the wrong path because Mm. you're not being concerned for the other person, you know, in any kind of, I don't want to say equal, but you know what I mean? It's not a give and a take. It's too much take maybe, or you also people play and like all kinds of things in the book where ego just weaves through there and it messes us up. So first step is just self-awareness. Like who's talking? Is it really, real you or the ego? That kind of leads to my next question, which is, do you think love is complicated?
0: I think love is very simple, but not easy. I don't think it's extremely complicated. As I said, I think love is peace. And I think what we need to do is we need to just establish pathways between our, ourselves and others to let love flow. Um, I don't think there's a complexity to that. Um, I think modern society is definitely exploiting our desires and our need for love and, you know, providing all these facsimiles of love, you know, attention, affection, status, power, control, um, you know, adoration influence all of these things that we all chase in life. Um and really think that this is gonna somehow satiate our desire to realize more love. I think that's where it gets complicated. I think also in the romantic world, um, the courting process, you meet someone for the first time, you go on a first date, um, there's very little opportunity to create a pathway of love in that. What you're really trying to do is impress another person to get more time with them. Um, you put a best foot forward, um, you know. You you are uh, a, a much, you know. You're wearing certain masks in the beginning, but the ultimate goal is to develop a level of comfort with that person where you can be in your in comfortable clothes watching TV together, you know. But there's a there's a whole song and dance that happens before that, and I think so often that courting process and the the social kind of. Uh, rules and the anthropology around it um has this thinking that that's what the the difficulties around that make love difficult and I think it's 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 not because if you take every other relationship you have that's non romantic and you think about the love, it's so easy it flows so well, and it's really about establishing a relationship even in the romantic space, just establishing a relationship with somebody based on vulnerability and honesty um and the love will flow between you as well.
1: Yeah, the whole romantic thing is difficult for a lot of people. And um, you reference the Disney movies, the older Disney movies, as mm-hmm. where many of us might have gotten our vision of what love is supposed to look like. That mm. really resonated with me. Two things that you talk about: um, the, the media influence, and um, you even. Re- refer to grandparents like how we view our grandparents relationships and both of those described me to a t when i was younger so Mm -hmm. talk about how beliefs for many have been determined by expectations shaped by media or by not understanding perhaps other people's relationships
0: i think the first thing we have to understand is media serves the purpose to entertain you know media is not there to inform so when you're watching your favorite couple on tv um they're not a sign of what a healthy couple is. They're a sign of a, an entertaining couple, you know, and and most likely it's going to be a cat and mouse relationship. So I reference uh, Ross and Rachel and friends, and that's a back and forth relationship. Because if it was a happily ever after, after their first date, there wouldn't be much to watch. And I think that's a really important thing to understand, that what we see in television is subtly signals to us how things should be. But the intentions behind those creations are not to inform us uh, but rather to distract and entertain us, and I think also understanding that when we make these comparisons to previous generations, um, we're not taking into consideration that those previous generations lived in very, very different worlds, and those very different worlds, you know, had very different expectations, um, were moving at a very different pace, and had way less distractions. And you—it's apples and oranges at this point. And I think it's something really important to pay attention to. And it's also this, you know, this concept of romanticizing things is, is, is also something worth looking at because the divorce rate, you know, I was looking it up yesterday for some other research, but you know, the, the rough number for divorce rate right now in, in, in the United States is around 39%. That's not the highest it's ever been, you know, it's been much higher And oftentimes, you know, they can associate that to to economics, you know, so during the Great Depression, you know, it goes up during the crash in the 80s, it went up during the dot-com bubble, it went up Um, probably 2008, it went up. And, you know, it's really realizing that, look, you know, even then, you know, we we can't romanticize these simpler times, but it was still the same things, you know, like when people, when resources were at risk and people were stressed out, you know, it took a strain on their relationships. You know, even our, our modern understanding of relationships are is, is prehistoric. You know, these ideas existed when we were in small villages, and you had an entire village to kind of meet your social needs. And now you have one partner, and you know you're most likely crammed up in an apartment building, shelved in um, multiple apartment buildings, and it's it's you and them kind of against the entire world, and that's not. of the setup that was thought about when when it was created and i think that's the important thing too is like when a lot of these social ideas were created you know it was a completely different world and we are you know the the idea of a fundamentalist is somebody who believes that yesterday has more answers than tomorrow and um you know this fundamentalism of what it means to be monogamous what it means to be married what it means to be in a relationship You know, these are based off times that would have never predicted the world that we live in today. And I think it's something that, and I'm not here to suggest alternatives. I'm just here to bring awareness to it and understand something that we should pay attention to Um, because the knight in shiny armor, um, you know, the damsel in distress, you know, these were real life scenarios where, you know, we lived in feudal societies and the only way to gain any level of social status was to join the military. And, you know, that would increase your opportunities for a potential partner. But even then, you know, weddings were arranged and they were transactions and consolidations of land, you know. So the romantic idea of marriages is only a couple of hundred years old as well. And most often you were marrying somebody or a transaction. And I think it's something that's worth noting, realizing that culture isn't gospel. And one of my favorite lines is tradition is just peer pressure from dead people, and it's, you know, it's it's stuff that, you know, we can completely liberate ourselves from at any time. And, you know, spending more time out here on the West Coast, you see how it's much more normalized to be around people who have dramatically more alternative lifestyles. And um, it's just a reminder that you get to write your own script. You don't have to stick to the templates that were provided for you.
1: It's so interesting. I did not know about the decrease in the divorce rate. So that's encouraging, I guess. But uh, well,
0: there's one theory that it just means less people are getting married. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it can go either way. It doesn't mean that couples are staying together. It just means that people who want to be married are getting married. Other people just aren't even getting into the game. Yeah.
1: Well, that still may be healthier. Mm. Um, I am wondering, and I guess it'll be a while before we know, but as you mentioned, there's trends as to when they when the rates go up and down. And I've been very curious with the pandemic and the lockdowns. Like, Did that help or hurt people being trapped together for a long period of time sort of against their will? So I guess we'll see. Maybe yeah all the statistics but i think it's fascinating and i agree with you i think there's some real problems with the sort of accepted definition of what marriage is supposed to be because everything's changed and i did use my grandparents as the my role model and they were married like 70 years and you know so it makes us feel when we do that like a failure if things are not going well and they you described exactly their their lifestyle was so different than what we have now and the pressures—I mean, I don't mean they didn't have pressures, but nothing like this constant bombardment of information and data and misinformation—and I mean, it's just—it creates a lot of anxiety. I think.
0: I think I think completely, and and that carries itself into the home, and um, especially if we're kind of, as many of us are, you know, flo- at, at various degrees, floating through life, kind of unconscious. You know, we're just kind of you know we're we're sleepwalking through life so we don't even know when we're anxious we don't know what the causes of our anxiety are um we're not able to communicate that we're feeling anxious and then you know all of a sudden a dirty dish left in the in the sink turns into you know world war 3 and it's uh you know that's something that's the, that's because it's it's the straw that broke the camel's back and we don't know about all the other 10 million straws that were on our backs and I think that's the really important part where we say communication is so important, but, you know, we're not put in a situation where we're even encouraged to be more effective communicators.
1: Very funny, because that's my next question for you is I'd love for you to share your take on listening, especially one of your points, which is to listen, to learn, not to fix.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those listen to fix individuals. And I think for the longest time, I thought there was a level of uh, honor in that or chivalry in that um and then i think it was it was brought to my attention that really what i was doing is i was suppressing my own pain you know when you share your pain with me it triggers my pain and i don't want to feel my pain so i need to shut you up so i don't have to feel my pain and i can shut you up by either fixing your problem um telling you your problem isn't really a problem or Telling you that there's people in the world who have it way worse. So stop complaining. And, um, you know, I think complaints operate at a frequency that kind of feel like chalk, you know, nails on a chalkboard for me. So I think for that, what I wasn't realizing that there, w- these were opportunities of vulnerability to connect with people. And I wasn't because I was too busy trying to solve or suppress, um, you know, listening to hear. Yeah, you're not listening and just waiting for your turn to talk. You know, you're listening and and, and being present and and really trying to understand what the person is trying to say to you. And again, that requires time and energy and practice. It can't be done in passing. It can't be done while the television's on. It can't be done after a long, hard day at work. You know, we got to pretty much carve out time to do it. You know, me and the most important people in my life, we carve out time, make sure we're well fed, make sure we're well rested before we even attempt to try to have a heavy conversation. And I think it's really important, you know, l- love is a skill, you know, a service, you have to practice it, you know, to get the, 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 to become more effective in that realm. And communication is going to be definitely one of the most important parts of that. I'm fortunate, I'm a professional writer, I can articulate myself um, better than the average bear. But at the same time, you know, if I choose not, I can still choose not to communicate. I can choose to say, never mind. I can choose to say, I'm fine when I'm not fine. And again, that just, that starts to add rubble and debris in the pathways between me and another person, which is going to reduce the flow of love.
1: Yeah, it's really, I think, a misunderstanding. And, and you talk about it, but there is no happily ever after. We have to work at it. Love is a skill, but so is communication, right? And you can learn it if you don't know it. But we I'm always surprised because we we do workshops and one of the things we have people do is we put them in groups of three. One is only allowed to listen, one is only allowed to observe, and one is only allowed to speak. Nobody likes it at the beginning when I explain. But then once they do it, the feedback is very telling to me because one is they talk about how difficult it is not to talk because we're not in the practice of just listening. We're in the practice of constantly talking. And the other is if the person's able to be quiet and just listen, the speaker talks about how it felt to actually be heard. And so I think it's something that's lacking today. I don't know if it's because of technology or just the chaotic sort of energy in the world today, but if people can just slow down and really listen, it's actually amazing how well you connect quickly. So
0: I appreciate it. Do, do you prompt them to talk or you just say, talk about whatever you want?
1: Oh, I, I tell them talk about something that they've been struggling with lately. That's not major, you know, just some irritant or whatever that.
0: Oh, and, and do you rotate or does everyone give them one roll once? Has
1: to rotate, Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah. a really, that's a really good activity.
1: And, and the poor observers just lose their minds. They sit on their hands. Like they have such a hard time because we're asking them to observe, not just what's being said, but body language, you know, the, the mood or the energy between the two people. And we just don't do that a lot anymore. So Again, I do appreciate that you included that because it's so critical for relationships in general, but I would think certainly for love.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Let's see. I want to ask you what you mean when you talk about why we shouldn't fall in love
0: with potential. Yes. You know, to fall in love with somebody's potential is to immediately say, I'm not happy with what's in front of me. I'm I'm happy with what can be. Um, and it's also deciding a direction for another individual, and and that's not fair. You know, we don't want people telling us our direction and setting parameters for who we need to be for the, for us to receive love from them. Um, and as I said, love is accepting what's in front of you, imperfections and all. So to fall in love with someone's potential is not falling in love with the person there, um, but rather dictating who they needed to be, which doesn't really sound or feel like love. So. And it's also it, 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 it's this you're signaling that you somehow know a person inside out and you, you know what's best for them, where none of us own a crystal ball. So what I say is if you want to fall in love with potential, fall in love with your own. You know, other than that, you know, if for everybody else, you have to accept them as they are um and assume they're never going to change and be okay with that,
1: yeah, I think that's beautiful. and i and I think it's really common. I know when I was younger, Everyone did that. It was like, okay, he's great, except he's going to have to change this, this, and this. <laughs> I mean, it was always like we somehow know better, right? So I, I do, yeah. and it, and I think it's important to look at those flaws. Like, is it something that you can accept? And if not, don't put that person through that torture, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, completely.
1: with We're coming to an end here. But where can our listeners find more about your work?
0: Um, you can find me at humblethepoet dot com um, on all social media at humble the poet probably most active on instagram um and the book how to be loved is available everywhere books are available um amazon barnes and noble uh on audible we have a great audiobook that i read um and as well if you can't find it um and you want to find it at your local bookstore you can go to humblethepoetcom love
1: wonderful we'll 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 provide a link to the book too on our website so people can find it easily and i really think the world needs a lot more love so thank you humble for being here today and sharing your wisdom
0: thank you so much i really appreciate you having me
1: until next time i encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing, from washing dishes, to work tasks, to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like the Daily Meditation Podcast, Everything Everywhere, and Movie Therapy. We deeply appreciate your support at patreon.com slash a mindful moment. Please be sure to subscribe to A Mindful Moment and follow us on Instagram at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access podcasts, scripts, and book recommendations. A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee and or Melissa Sims. The Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Media Right Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.